Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, the last four weeks have been a flurry of really terrible information coming from the Mideast. You know, do you ever feel like we're living in doomsday times? I do, Jimmy, and sometimes I think about it. I don't know if you remember, we're Cold War era kids. You remember that doomsday clock where they would look at it and say you were two minutes to midnight or one minute to midnight? Well, Jimmy, I think that clock has been getting ready to strike midnight for a while, hasn't it? It sure has. You know, in the 1950s, Rick, the world feared it was on the edge of a nuclear apocalypse. But from a Christian perspective, Rick, our first reaction should be to take a deep breath and relax. At some point in time, this world is going to end. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Christ will return, Revelation 19, 11 to 13. And yet every single person on earth is a split second away from a personal doomsday. Right now, Psalm 39, 5. Behold, you've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Heart attacks, wars, accidents, tricks, such can bring us face to face with our creator more readily than a global catastrophe. And whether the end times are right around the corner or a long way off, as you say, we are called to be prepared. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse two says, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't panic. So Rick, on our program today, we're going to talk with our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is with us today. We're going to have a Q&A session. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung will be here. And then, of course, we'll take a look at the book at the end of the program. But we need to get started. So let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an author. He's an analyst. You can find out more about him, about the many books that he has written by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, I'd like to talk, uh, of course, we're going to talk about October 7th here and how it is reshaping the world, especially the Islamic world. But but before I do that, we have not checked in on Russia in a little while. And if we look at this situation, I'd like to get an update from there. And it looks like the tide may be turning in favor of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Is that the case? Well, it's hard to say from the battlefield. Remember, we're getting disinformation from both sides. We're getting disinformation from the European Union. We're getting disinformation from the Pentagon. So it's very difficult to tell. What we do know is that aides of Zelensky are now speaking out on background to the media saying he is deluded. He thinks we can still win. We are not winning this war. We're out of options, but we can't tell him anything. That is a very dangerous situation, Rick, when you have a leader who is become stubborn, who does not look at evidence and who believes against all the evidence that he is right, you have real problems. And I fear that's where we are now. The Russians are making gains on the battlefield. Ukraine's counteroffensive has not been a great success. They have not taken back uh, major territory. They did not cut Russia off from Crimea. And at some point, these two countries are going to have to sit down at a table and negotiate a territorial compromise. And right now, Zelensky is not ready to do so. He thinks the West is going to continue to bail him out. And I can tell you, the Republican Congress is not so eager to do so. 
Well, that's what I was going to ask you about next. And uh, we have taken great pains on this program to tell you that we're not Russian apologists and we are not fans of Vladimir Putin, but we are also uh, not going to fund a forever war there with Russia and Ukraine to the very last bit of what Zelensky wants from Russia. And now the U.S. Congress, especially with the new Speaker of the House, they are not going to give them a blank check in the future, are they? Uh, they're not. And it, again, as you say, it's not because they're Russian apologists or anything. There's nobody in Congress who's a Russian apologist or a Putin follower or somebody who admires Putin. They are American patriots and they're looking at the way the t- taxpayers money is being spent. Half of this uh, hundred billion dollar aid package that uh, Biden is trying to get for Ukraine uh, is going to go to support the retirement fund of Ukrainian civil servants. Now tell me, why should U.S. taxpayers mm. be paying the retirement of Ukrainian civil servants? It makes no sense whatsoever. Now you can say, well, their economy is you know, down, has uh, been completely decimated by the war. That's true. Maybe they should begin to take some responsibility for that. And I think that's what we're hearing now in Washington is that uh, Zelensky has been getting a pass He's been getting an easy ride, so to speak. And it's time now that he realized that uh, we can't be paying his bills or Ukraine's bills forever. I agree. Well, let's continue. We'll move on. And we're going to look at the war in Israel. And I'd like to look at it from the perspective of the Islamic world. You have vast experience all over the Middle East, especially Iraq, Iran. And if you look at it, Hamas leaders are calling for the Islamic world to come out and to support Hamas, even on a state level or on a personal level inside of states. But can you talk a little bit about how this war is polarizing the world, especially the Islamic world, and basically changing? the dynamics. And that was the plan, Rick. That was the plan of the mm. Islamic regime in Iran. That's exactly what they wanted. They saw that Israel was, was building on the momentum of the Abraham Accords negotiated by President Trump and by Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. They saw that those peace agreements with four Arab and Muslim countries were gaining traction. They saw that Benjamin Netanyahu, his government, was having talks with Saudi Arabia to the extent that on September 9, Bibi Netanyahu went to the UN General Assembly and he held up a map for anybody who saw his speech. He held up a map of the new Middle East economic corridor, the supply line from Saudi Arabia through Israel into Greece and into the European Union, bringing natural gas and other resources. The Saudis were talking to Israel about full normalization. They were talking about a gas pipeline that would bring Saudi gas, but also Israeli gas. People forget that Israel over the past three to five years has become a massive major natural gas uh, power. They have these offshore gas fields called Tamir and Leviathan. They're supplying Jordan and Egypt with natural gas, but they have tons ready to export to Europe. They were getting ready to do that in tandem with Saudi Arabia. And guess what? The Hamas war on October 7th blew the whole thing to pieces. What a great plan by the Islamic regime in Tehran. They were terrified of the Saudis getting together with Israel. And now that's on hold. 
Certainly is. And like you said, that does seem to plan from the very beginning. Well, let's continue on. You've talking about it on a state level. Let's look at it on more of an individual level. And I'd like to go to some of these Western countries, not Islamic governments, but they have large Islamic populations. Much of those Islamic populations are recent migrants. I'm talking about the, the United Kingdom, England, London, protests taking place, huge protests taking place in London, even here in the United States. What is going to happen with these protests? And some some of them coming very close to being violent. What is going to happen? How is that changing politics in these countries? Rick, let me first tell you the good news. And the good news, and I'm really astonished to tell you that, the president of France, where I am now, Emmanuel Macron, has banned pro-Hamas demonstrations in France. He's banned them, even though he has a 15% Muslim population because he knew that those uh, demonstrations could turn violent. He knew that Hamas supporters who were legion inside the Islamic community in France were ready to go on the rampage against Jews. And he felt an obligation as the president of all French men and women to prevent that from happening. So he banned those demonstrations. I say shame on the Europeans, on the Brits, and shame on American college presidents for not banning similar demonstrations in the United States. Free speech is one thing, but when you call for the murder of Jews, the slaughter of Jews, which is what these people are doing, whether it's at Cornell University, at Columbia University, or in the streets of London or Rome, they're calling for genocide. They're calling for mass murder. There can be no tolerance for that kind of speech. That is not free speech. That is a call to genocide. And these leaders who allow it to happen have shame upon their heads. We certainly know, Ken, that there's conflicts taking place all over the world, and there's all uh, different things taking place every day, but the focus is on Israel and Gaza, and that is the focus of these protests. It certainly seems like it's not uh, just supporting Gaza. It's anti-Semitism. It's anti-Jewishness, isn't it? Absolutely, Rick. Absolutely. I wrote a book in 2002, right after the 9-11 attacks, called Preachers of Hate, Islam and the war in America. It was the first book that actually looked at the core doctrine of Islam, which is anti-Semitic. Kill the Jews wherever you find them, kill their followers wherever you find them. And I went uh, around the Middle East and uh, interviewed Muslim clerics. I interviewed the, the Mufti of Jerusalem. I interviewed clerics in Gaza, members of Hamas. I went to talk to them in Damascus and in Jordan, in Cairo. I talked to the Grand Mufti of Al-Azhar, the, the biggest Islamic university, the oldest one in the world. And to a man, they were all men, to a man, they all said, we believe the Jews have a plan we believe in the protocols of the elders of Zion. We believe they are the sons of monkeys and pigs. And it is the duty of all good Muslims to exterminate them. This is at the core of Islamic, of political Islam. This is the, the core of Hamas. It is their doctrine. Rick, I say to people who ask me, how could they be such animals to slaughter innocent women and children, to rip babies out of the bellies of their mother on October 7th? I say, Animals are not capable of evil. Only humans are capable of evil. God has told us this. These are people who have been possessed by evil. They're possessed by an evil doctrine. It's called Islam. Read my book, Preachers of Hate, Islam and the War in America. And you can find it at my website, KenTimmerman.com. And by the way, you can get used copies on the Internet for, for 4 or $5. 
I would certainly advise our listeners to do just that. Ken, thank you for taking the time. You're there in France. This is such important information that you're helping us to get out. Well, thank you for taking the time while there to talk to our listeners and uh, be safe. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Well, we've got to take a break. We'll be back in one moment. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The United States and Arab neighbors intensify calls for a ceasefire as Israeli tanks approach Gaza City. Meanwhile, Hamas decries outside interference. Israel's war on Hamas has continued for nearly a month after the terrorist group slaughtered 1,400 people in a horrific 10-7 attack. Uncharted Ministries' Tom Doyle says Christians in the region may be at risk. With terrorist groups like Hamas, there's two targets. It's Jews and then Christians. Even in their mantra that they shout out, they're talking about eradicating the Jews, and they're angry at Christians, too. Anti-Semitism rose globally as the Israel-Hamas war raged in October. As you watch current events unfold, remember to pray. Ask God to protect and encourage the minority Christian communities in both Israel and Gaza. And Dave and Joy Mueller with Kenya Hope are being remembered with a celebration of life service tomorrow in Michigan after their deaths on the mission field. They were passionate about caring for widows, providing clean water, and audio Bibles. Ian Mueller says his father, Dave, was a handyman who could fix almost anything. As for Joy... I want people to remember about my mom is just endless wells of energy powered by her love for the people that she valued and the people that God loves. Anyone can serve God as Dave and Joy did. My dad would say, you never graduate from the school of faith. It just gets harder. And he would say he hated walking by faith, in all honesty. But Jesus is a light unto our feet, and he guides the way. So you just got to keep saying yes every time. Details on the service at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is service of One Way Ministries. This month, Sat7, a Christian satellite television ministry to the Middle East, North Africa, offers a free sample of Dr. Terry Ascott's memoir, Dare to Believe, Stories of Faith from the Middle East. Get yours when you click on the banner ad at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is our Middle East news update, a time where Jimmy and I take a look at news coming out of the Middle East in general, but Israel in particular, to do that with us this week, as he has been with us almost every day since the October 7th attacks, is journalist Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for being with us. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, as I said, you've been keeping our listeners informed on what's going on. What's the latest in Israel right now? Well, we're now entering the second week of the ground offensive in the Gaza Strip, intense fighting all week. Israel announced on Friday that 24 soldiers had perished so far in that conflict, one of them being a Druze battalion commander who took part in the initial Hamas invasion into Israel. They now say around 3,000 men were involved in that. That's double the initial estimate. Uh, This came as Yemen declared this week a war formally on Israel. I should say the Houthi rebels that control the government of Yemen, they run most of it, declared war. They said they were firing regularly at the southern port city of Eilat. Israel did, in fact, knock down some more uh, incoming rockets and drone forces uh, this week that were aimed at Eilat. They also um, added more warships out in the Red Sea. By the way, outside in the Mediterranean Sea, off the coast of Gaza, we had over 11,000 U.S. forces 
holding three days of drills this week. That's the Eisenhower Carrier Group was passing by. They participated in some of it. And of course, the uh, Carrier Group Ford, which is the main one stationed there. Uh, on the ground, we had more rocket attacks from Gaza at Tel Aviv, at Jerusalem, Ashkelon, etc. We had, uh, of course, more interceptions. One rocket did get through to Siderot and hit a kindergarten and destroyed part of it and some cars nearby. We had other rockets in the north fired by Hezbollah. Uh, four hit Kiryat Shmona, the largest city up there, mostly abandoned now, but hit the center of the town that I lived in for two years. I recognized the buildings that were on fire and some cars. Uh, Israel responded with heavy strikes against Hezbollah positions in Lebanon. And uh, the next day, we had the Hezbollah leader, Nasrallah, that was yesterday, give a speech in which he defended the Hamas massacre. He said it was justified that uh, the entire uh, Muslim world should support it. They should send fighters to help in the battle. He called for all Arab states that have relations with Israel. That's, of course, uh, Egypt and Jordan and and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, a couple others, to break those relations right away. And he warned that even though he isn't fully engaged in the war at this point, it is tying up Israeli soldiers in the north, and there are an estimated 30,000, Rick, up there now, and that's helping Hamas. And he said, we'll continue to do that, and we may even escalate uh, further, if the fighting continues in Gaza, this came as a Hezbollah-related group in Iraq, uh, sponsored by them, and of course Iran, said that it would step up attacks next week against American bases in Syria and Iraq. 28 attacks have taken place as of uh, today, so uh, we'll be watching for that. We had the Wagner Group, we heard, the Russian Wagner Group, is prepared to uh, give Hezbollah an air defense system called the SA-22 that Russia possesses. And uh, the, the Russian, the Kremlin denied that report, but the Wall Street Journal reported that, Rick, and they gave some evidence for that. On the ground in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, we also had action this week. Thursday evening, Israeli forces went into Jenin again in the north of Samaria, where they uh, reportedly destroyed some Hamas and Islamic Jihad positions. Heavy firefight took place and air cover was called in. All this as uh, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken was down in Jerusalem meeting with Israeli leaders. He warned uh, other uh, Arab parties, Hezbollah was obviously in mind, but others to stay out of the war. And he did say that he is pushing for a pause in the fighting. Prime Minister Netanyahu, who earlier had said that uh, Hezbollah will be destroyed and Lebanon will pay a high, high price, a dear, costly price if they join the war. Um, he said a pause in the Gaza offensive is called for now, but uh, Netanyahu made clear that isn't going to happen. And the main reason, Rick, for that is because the soldiers are in Gaza. They're deep in Gaza. They're surrounded by Hamas, Hamas fighters and Islamic Jihad fighters all around them. They're in the buildings, they're in the tunnels, and any temporary pause would just give them a chance to come out and kill those soldiers. And they're certainly not going to pull the soldiers out for a pause. The pause, of course, meant to get the 242 hostages out. We found out 
during the week that 30 plus are from Thailand, Thai workers being held, and they're dealing directly, the Thai government with Iran, to try to get those freed. More American, dual American Palestinians were released on Thursday and Friday, several hundred so far, but of course, those are not prisoners. Those are just residents of the Gaza Strip that want to get out. We still have, we had earlier, of course, some prisoner releases, some hostage releases for so far, but nothing uh, on the horizon right now, it seems. Well, Dave, we look at it and we see that Prime Minister Netanyahu is, I believe, cutting a strong figure. He's saying that they're not going to consider a ceasefire, but he's still in an effort to recover, at least until all hope is lost or until there's nothing else that they can do to recover those hostages. But I have heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I have heard that he would consider a ceasefire with the release of all the hostages. Is that a play that will work to get those hostages freed, do you think? Yes, but it's a catch-22, Rick, because uh, indeed the Israeli officials have said that uh, they would pause their assault, not stop it entirely. Ceasefire implies that's it, it's over with, probably. Ceasefires can be broken, but usually that's uh, the result of them. But um, again, Israeli forces are are in several miles into this heavily populated Gaza Strip. And of course, most of the civilians have gone further south. Hamas trying to stop them, of course, but uh, many have gone. But their fighters are everywhere and they can't just pause. And if the hostages are released, uh, then I would predict that there would be a pause, the real pause of several days so they could get aid in as a result, a kind of a thank you, Hamas, you took our people, you took these people from all over the world, really, and now you're releasing them. But again, I've said it before on this program and elsewhere, the Israelis are determined in the face of the worst mass slaughter of Jews since World War II, they are determined to end Hamas rule in the Gaza Strip. And uh, they're worried about the hostages, of course, they're concerned about lessening U.S. support. Uh, and world support, as uh, we predicted, as the pictures of Palestinian children caught up in the war are, are flashed across the world. We have demands for ceasefires growing. But again, Israel is determined to finish this. And uh, yet, if they lose U.S. support, if Biden in the end says, well, it's too costly for us, my party's falling apart over it, uh, my campuses are on fire, and on and on, then, uh, you know, Israel would be in real trouble if it comes to a full war with Iran and Hezbollah involved. If it remains just against Hamas in the south, they can handle it, Rick. They don't need America's help. The U.S. has some drones flying over the Gaza Strip, they announced, the Pentagon announced, uh, doing surveillance, mainly in connection to trying to find the hostages. But uh, other than that, the U.S. is not directly involved. And if it cannot be in the future, if there's a greater war, that would be hurtful to Israel. But let's pray it doesn't come to that. Certainly we should continue to pray for the peace there in Israel. Well, one last question. We've only got a minute or so here, but you say that the U.S. support could fade, could dwindle. But so far, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken, in meeting with Netanyahu, he did call for them to protect more Gaza civilians. But what another thing that he said, I thought it was very interesting, he called it shocking 
that the Hamas attack has receded so quickly in the memories of many. And this meaning of these terrible atrocities, things that are just horrible, people have started to explain them away. People have started to blame Israel for those things that have happened. And this has happened very quickly, less than four weeks, something that if this had happened within our borders, say, here in the United States, they would never go away that quickly. The only thing you could look at is the fact that this is fitting some people's preconceived narratives or they're anti-Semitic, they're anti-Jewish, and I believe they're anti-God tendencies and principles. Would you agree with that? And is that what we're looking at here? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, Israel's return, as your program points out all the time, is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It's setting the stage for the final end-time events to take place. And uh, Satan knows that. And he's got some agents here that are willing to kill Jews. And by the way, Rick, one of the uh, stories from the massacre that just surfaced early this week, a baby was put into a mother's oven, turned on the oven, and as it was burning to death, she was being raped. And the camera shows this. The cameras on these guys. So, you know, ovens, Jews in ovens. I mean, you know, this is this is a, another Holocaust for the Israelis and I think for the Jewish people. And uh, it's intense. And uh, Hamas knew it would be. We see them prepared. But uh, as long as it stays just in the south, mainly their rocket supply will eventually run out and Israel will eventually win this thing. But if it goes to the north and Iran itself, then it's a whole nother ball game. Well, David, I know that just covering this war has taken its toll on you. I appreciate your willingness to cover this for our listeners. We appreciate all of your efforts, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. If it prods people to pray, I'm happy to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but we'll be back with more on Prophecy Today. We're going to have Colonel Bob McGinnis. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, as we have been watching the news over the last couple of weeks, I mean, it does seem like we're in a period of doomsday cycle, don't you? I mean, there are a lot of predictions. And if you listen and you watch the news, even Christian news media, we're focusing on the Jewish people. 
We are, Jimmy. And, but you look at it, we are bombarded like never before. You look at the social media, you got Twitter, you've got Facebook, you've got how many news channels and all the internet, all of this stuff coming at us and we are having to filter these things. But we do know that we do have the confidence. We That's why we study Bible prophecy. That's why we study what's going on. We have the confidence. We know the playbook. We know the plan. We know what happens. And so it does give us this uh, shelter, this area that we can uh, weather this storm of all this news that's coming around, all these doomsday scenarios that are coming at us. Yes. The vast majority of doomsday predictions are pure speculation, myth, or Uninformed hysteria. Even the Mayans didn't think of their calendar cycle as predicting the end of the world. Computer experts were not the ones pushing the Y2K panic. And virtually no Christian theologians think that the blood moon phenomenon is a major indicator of any particular event. And we followed that closely. As with other fads and crazes, though, Rick, the discussions are driven by poor reasoning and even worse facts, correct? They are, Jimmy. And the one thing that uh, we need to remember, as always, is when in doubt, go back to the manual. Go back to the book. These things that stray, they're extra biblical. They come from different areas. Uh, They are, if it's not from the Word, if, if you can't prove it by taking me to Scripture, then that is not what you should be putting your hope in and your faith in. That's right. Born-again Christians can be confident in their salvation and trusting God to handle everything else. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The author, Matthew, encourages us to look at our heavenly father and look at even the birds they are god takes care of even the sparrows we are told that it is possible to read the signs of the times matthew 16 it's what the lord said he said hey and he called you know you hypocrites you could discern the weather but you can't discern the signs of the time the scriptures are given to us so that we have a confidence we can take a deep breath and relax and realize that it's all in god's hands but also that it's impossible for any person to know for sure when the end times will really occur. Rather than focusing on dates, disputes, rumors, we ought to concentrate on bringing the gospel to as many people as possible. And I think, you know, when we think about it, what is Bible prophecy there for us? It's to motivate us to understand the urgency of the hour and to be Uh, living a pure, productive, holy life, but to understand that God has given us the responsibility of getting the word of God out to others. Well, this portion of the program, we have our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. Rick, you and I always think about Colonel McGinnis because we were with him in Washington, D.C. on one of our videos. We've been with him in the Middle East. We've been with him several times. I mean, he was a key person to get on the program, correct? He is. It's always great when we can have him, and he's very much sought after in the in the world. He's with Fox News and many different news 
produce in organizations. He writes several books. He's just got a wealth of experience. That's why uh, we've had our relationship with him over the years. That's why Dad has his relationship with him. So, Jimmy, we have retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis with us. He's a good friend of the program. He's been on the program many times, been on many of the DVDs that we have produced. He's an author. He's an expert in what takes place uh, around the world militarily. He's still actually working at the Pentagon. It's still in involved in a lot of different things, but he certainly is writing books now talking about what's taking place in the world and how it relates to Bible prophecy. Colonel McGinnis, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Rick. Colonel McGinnis, as we look at this situation, you haven't been on the program for a little while, not at least since October 7th. And before, I'd like to ask you a few questions about some of your books that you have. But before I do that, I'd like to ask you a little bit about that event, October 7th, those barbaric attacks by Hamas on Israel. Your thoughts on that, on those attacks, and maybe how it changed the landscape in Israel and the Middle East. If you could, let us know your thoughts. Yeah, well, there are a couple of issues there, Rick. One, I'm I'm wondering how the IDF let its guard down and that this, you know, radical infiltration by so many Hamas killers could come across that border and do so much damage. You know, I'm sure that you know Netanyahu and the like will do a, a thorough investigation, and they'll discover that you know, perhaps that they've not done due diligence over the last few years and have really become uh, more lax than they should be, given the hostile environment in which they live. On the part of Hamas, I'm not at the least surprised. You know, certainly, the Iranians have been using proxies to do their nasty work all over the region and they've been promising for you know certainly 1979 to the present to destroy Israel so uh, given the opportunity and evidently the the arming of not only Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis and others that uh, this was uh, evidently a a great opportunity for them to do as much damage as they can and they took advantage of that, and unfortunately, we're where we are today, that now Israel has to go in and utterly destroy Hamas and its infrastructure uh, to prevent this from happening again in the near term. Now, of course, we're concerned about whether or not this is going to be more expansive. Uh, It may bring Hezbollah into the fight. We've certainly seen the Houthis have been firing rockets and cruise missiles and the like at Israel and at U.S. facilities and ships. Uh, And, of course, the Iranians have picked up their attacks using proxies, uh, certainly in Iraq and Syria, to launch attacks against U.S. personnel. So, you know, it is taken on more of a regional uh, focus, but it's certainly something of some concern. It certainly is. Let me break down a few of the things that you said there. And you look at Israel and you said that they have to go in and eliminate Hamas. They have to get rid of them. And I know from listening to Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech the other day, their prime directive, at least right now, alongside eliminating Hamas is getting those hostages back. From your perspective, your military opinion, your expertise, will they be able to achieve those two objectives? Well, that's a delicate balance. You know, the build-up areas are are incredibly tough to fight in, especially when you have subterranean, uh, you know, tunnels and 
facilities as does Hamas, an estimated 300 uh, miles of tunnels. And so it becomes very, very difficult. You know, those tunnels are about the shoulder width of some people. So you're not going to get a lot of uh, soldiers in there to be able to effectively eliminate them uh, one by one. And so the, the question is whether or not it's reasonable to expect that uh, the IDF can rescue the hostages and then eliminate Hamas. Unfortunately, I think national interest has to prevail here, and you know if we can get the you know hostages fine uh, but you know, I'm not sure that you know they're going to be able to do both effectively, and so it's going to be really a very heart wringing uh, tough set of decisions as they go forward. Certainly is. Well, another the second part of the question, and you alluded to it earlier, the expansion of the war is something that we have to be worried about. The Iranian proxies, you talked about the Houthis already, we know, and Hezbollah and Syria, all of these different Iranian proxies that may be called into war. Now, they have not fully engaged yet. And if they do fully engage, and Israel is fighting a full-scale war on almost every border, then that could be a different uh, situation that we're going to have to deal with. But they haven't done it yet. What's the likelihood that there is full-scale engagement? And if there's not, what would be holding these Iranian proxies in Iran themselves back? Well, I I think uh, Iran holds Hezbollah back to a certain degree. They'll allow Islamic Jihad to use the the border uh, with Lebanon as an opportunity to strike Israel. But uh, Hezbollah has a a very significant arsenal of up to maybe 15,000 rockets that are hidden deep in tunnels and and a variety of facilities all along the the Lebanese border with Israel. Uh, I don't think at this point that uh, Iran wants Hezbollah to attack in a major way Primarily because it takes an, you know, one of their their key you know, proxies uh, potentially out of action, and they won't be able to follow through on other desires. Now, keep in mind the the war in the region has really been a, a, a simmering and on and off for a long time. We've seen routinely Israeli jet fighters uh, go into Syria, bomb. Damascus or Aleppo or a variety of targets, and these are targets of opportunity that Israel has detected supplies coming in from Tehran or somewhere in Iran, and then they're going to be transshipped across the Syrian border into Lebanon to resupply Hezbollah. Now, given that and the fact that IRGC, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, which of course reports directly to the Ayatollah, that they uh, have been orchestrating you know, the fight, uh, not only with Hezbollah, uh, but with a number of militias there in Syria, but also Hamas, the Houthis, and, and the like. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they've also been attacking uh, with a Iraqi uh, Hezbollah faction uh, against U.S. forces. And we have uh, been very tepid in our responses. I think that in the previous administration when President Trump gave the go-ahead to 
assassinate, to kill Soleimani, mm. who was the Quds Force commander, the hot, you know, the top guy of IRGC, reporting to the Ayatollah. You know that that was, you know, that was a gutsy move, but the appropriate move. And at this point, uh, you know, the Biden administration is being incredibly tepid uh, when it comes to responding, if at all, to attacks on U.S. service members. We've taken, you know, a significant number of wounded casualties. And I know in the times that I've been in Iraq, I, I had, you know, firsthand observations of Iranians attacking or their proxies attacking U.S. forces and, you know, arguably Hundreds of U.S. service members were killed with Iranian-provided uh, IEDs and rockets and the like over the years we were in, in war with them. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't doubt at all that Iran is orchestrating, you know, what's going on, and it's something that we need to respond uh, in a determined way. And the deterrence that we've created with the aircraft carriers and, you know. Patriots and Thads and other capabilities and aircraft as well is is good, but it's not going far enough. I, I think it, you know, we, we need to, you know, at least respond with um, great gusto to any attacks against U.S. service members, so that they understand we're not going to sit back on our hands. I certainly agree. We need to show strength so that we don't get drawn into a larger battle because we've shown weakness. Well, you've written several books, Colonel McGinnis, and these books, uh, you can find them wherever you get your books. If you go to Amazon.com and look up Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, you can find all these books. One of them is called The Alliance of Evil, and it talks about Russia and China and basically a new Cold War with the United States. But it talks about the emergence of these two nations, and we've already talked about Iran, and this is kind of that alliance of evil that we talk about on this program all the time, Russia, China, Iran. These nations are pulling the strings, manipulating this area, and the United States, especially under current leadership, is seemingly powerless or not as powerful as we used to be to be able to respond to this. But this Russia-China alliance is gaining power, gaining strength through these conflicts, aren't they? Well, they're certainly using their proxies, and in the case of uh, you know the People's Republic of China or you know the Russian Federation, uh, they're closely aligned with Iran. You know, it was only a, over a year ago that uh, the Chinese Communist regime signed a strategic relationship with Iran. Now, it was mostly about economic issues, and it wasn't necessarily about military, but one follows the other, and it always has been. And, of course, Iran has sold um, drones and other munitions um, that the Russians have used in Ukraine. And the Chinese, of course, have benefited from uh, our, I would argue, our naivety with regard to Iran by allowing them to you know, bolster their petroleum production. You know, under Trump, they were you know, down to, what, 400,000 uh, uh, barrels a day? Now they're they're pumping four million barrels a day, and most of that ends up in China. And so, you know, the Chinese are, are taking advantage of our failure to understand the threat posed by the communist Chinese and by the Iranian mullahs. And so the world is is really realigning uh, with those totalitarian regimes: uh, Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, 
uh, arguably Pyongyang, uh, much of Africa that is now aligned with them, a growing number of South American countries, and, of course, the weakness that we see in our own government uh, in its ability to respond to these you know, arguably existential threats that are growing out there. So uh, we're in a transformational time. You know, World War II was a, a transformational time, and the world did change, and especially after the Cold War ended in 91. Uh, but today, uh, the weakness that uh, the Biden administration and others are demonstrating has only emboldened our adversaries. And so this alliance of evil is very real, and they are taking advantage of us. And I would argue that we wouldn't have had a war in Russia uh, against Ukraine. We wouldn't have you know, the renegades like Hamas attacking the Israelis if, in fact, uh, America was carrying a big stick and very credibly you know, threatening to use it against the likes of the Iranians, the North Koreans, Chinese, and so forth. But unfortunately, uh, this administration is far too weak when it comes to foreign policy. Well, one final thought from you, Colonel McGinnis. We look at this, and I look at your books, and many of your books, like we do on this program, we look at current events through the lens of Bible prophecies, and we see that the what's taking place in the world is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and that's what you do in your books as well. So there is hope for us. We do know the final story. We do know the final chapter, and this should motivate us as believers to be prepared for those end times, shouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I... Yeah, I can't say with certitude that um, Ezekiel 37, 38 is, is indeed the Russian Federation or the Turkish or the Persians, the Iranians, but, you know, it could be a combination. Uh, it could be even, as I've argued, uh, you know, the, the Chinese hordes from the east, uh, you know, the 200 million, what, in Revelation 9, that, that could be part of it. Um, yeah, it's hard to know exactly. We just know it's going to happen. We know there will be indicators, and you know certainly a lot of those indicators seem to be sparking the skies today. Mm-hmm. And you know it should be waking us up to the reality that you know life on this earth, as it has been, may radically change, and the Lord may come much earlier than many of us thought. Colonel Bob McGinnis, as always, you have been a wealth of information. We thank you for taking the time to be on the program, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Rick. As always, excellent, excellent job, Rick. And uh, Colonel McGinnis, great job. We truly respect him. I've, uh, I guided him through the Mideast. I sat down, uh, took him over to Jordan. We sat with the Minister of Tourism, Beltaji, right there, uh, right across on the Dead Sea. What a great time for him as he was preparing to write his books. You've read his books, Rick. I've read them. Uh, they're, they're great. And he's also been in our DVDs. Which DVDs, if people wanted to get the DVDs, which DVDs has he been in? The two latest DVDs, actually, Jimmy, is the United States in Bible Prophecy. We interviewed him right off the mall, right? I forget. It was right near the mall there in in Washington, D.C., on location, him and dad. And then we also were in his home for The Destiny of America, the last DVD, the last documentary that we put together. Both of those DVDs are on our website at prophecytoday.com. And he just provides a valuable insight as he looks at the external threats. And he takes all that information that he has as a colonel and combines that with his knowledge of Bible prophecy. And he's just an excellent resource for, for us to have. 
Yes, and he's been uh, to quite a few conferences. He's uh, much in demand. And this is not something that he has to do. He wants to do it because he understands the value of knowing what the Bible says about the end times in which we live. So, uh, Rick, we thought we would do some Q&A today uh, on the program. And uh, why don't we kind of open it up? And uh, this is just right off the cuff. We've got questions that come into us. And uh, why don't you take it away? Well, Jimmy, I've got several different questions and some comments. The first one is kind of a little bit of a question slash comment. It's from Tom. I won't use his last name in case he doesn't want me to. But he's a frequent supporter of the ministry and we appreciate him. But Tom says it was good to hear from Mike Gendron today on Prophecy Today. Now, this was the program last week, and he said, we lo- I love to hear your interviews. He is spot on when it comes to salvation doctrine and the falsehoods of the Catholic salvation doctrine. He, uh, Tom himself comes out of Catholicism, and he says the overwhelming majority of Catholics have never heard a plain presentation of the gospel and have never responded to an invitation to receive Christ as their Lord. And so, Jimmy, I just wanted to give you a chance to comment on why we have Mike Gendron on the program. Yes, uh, and I appreciate uh, your your comment, Tom. Thanks for, for listening to the program. And uh, we have Mike on because, as you know, Rick, we, uh, we have a lot of people that follow us that come out of the Catholic Church. They're interested in the end times. They're interested in the Bible. They've grown up in the Catholic religion. They have gone. They've been very, um, you know, very faithful. Uh, And I would say, look, I'm not the judge. I would say that there are people within the Catholic religion in the Catholic Church that are believers. No doubt about it. But when you look at, you know, and you listen to the leaders of the Catholic Church beginning and at the top with the Pope going all the way down. There's a history with the Pope leading up to the present Pope. There's a past. There's a the present and, and his thoughts and process. And, uh, you know, it sometimes it's not very Christian-y, if you would. Uh, so that's why we bring Mike Gendron on. He came out of Catholicism. He has a very good understanding. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Peter encouraged us to love the Lord our God, make him sanctify him in our hearts, 1 Peter chapter 3, and to be ready to give an account for what you believe. And what Mike believes, he is ready to give an account to all those that are interested that are part of and still involved in the Catholic Church and need an answer. Mike can give it better than, you know, you and I. We know Bible prophecy. We can talk about Bible prophecy. Mike's really good at speaking to the issue of Catholicism. Well, that's great, Jimmy, and I we do appreciate Mike and all of our broadcast partners. Well, let's get to another question. We're really going to go to Fawn. Fawn writes us, and she talks, and she has a quick question uh, about Zechariah 13.8. And her quick question is, who is Zechariah 13.8 referring to Israel or the world with the one-third and the two-third? Is it prophetic? Praying for Israel. Thanks, Fawn. Let me read Zechariah 13.8. And it's, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. Yes, well... 
when you understand the hermeneutic principle of studying Bible, the Word of God, Bible prophecy for sure, there are three strands of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. The first 2,000 years of human history, there were only Gentiles on the earth. From uh, And that's from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 13 begins a look at the Jewish people along with the Gentiles. And so Zechariah is a prophet to the Jews. And in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, he speaks of the slaughter of many Jews during the coming time of judgment, the time of Jacob's trouble. The number of Jews to be killed will number in the millions. In fact, the number will be over 9 million Jews killed during the coming days of judgment. So he's referring to the Jewish people, and he's talking about a judgment, a coming judgment. And we've talked about this in the past. Last week, we talked about the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30. The time of Jacob's trouble is when we're going to see the two-thirds of the future. So when we pray the best way that we can give instruction to the and bless the Jewish people is by giving them Jesus. It certainly is, Jimmy. Well, I've got one more question. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'd like to get you a chance to answer this quickly because it is very timely. It's from Connie, and it's really a request about one of our products, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that and what that means in this present atmosphere. And her question is, I'm interested in receiving the documentary of the two brothers— Jacob and Esau regarding the end times and the conflict of the Jewish people and the Palestinian people. Thank you. She's talking about our video, Esau and the Palestinians, where we talk about the origin of the Palestinians. You've only got a minute, Jimmy, but can you let her know what that video is about and what we, what our teaching on the Palestinian people is? Yes. Uh, well, actually, today on the Legacy Series, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung is going to talk about the two brothers, the two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, in that lineage. Esau and the Palestinians was filmed in the area of where Esau went, which was to the Mount Seir region of uh, what is uh, known and was then labeled as Edom. And that's where the Edomites come from. The Edomites were kicked out of Petra, that city that's uh, that 24 square mile area of one of the seven wonders of the world, the Red Rock Canyons. Yes, uh, that's where that video was shot. And it's a great video to get to give you and to trace the lineage of the Edomites, which are the Palestinian people of today. Connie, thank you so much for sending in that. And uh, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the bookstore section. Now, you have to look around on our website, but you'll be able to find information pertaining to that DVD, Esau and the Palestinians. Well, we've got to take a break, Rick. And as you said, time is short. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with the Legacy Series. And hopefully Connie's listening and she will hear an explanation from Dr. Jimmy DeYoung on the descendants of the Edomites, the Palestinian people. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And it's a very timely program for events that are happening around the world. But let me just tell you, and uh, Rick, you know this as well. We talk about it every week. We don't believe that there are any prophecies left to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church takes place. 
There are a thousand prophecies in the Bible. 500 have already have happened. There are 500 remaining. And the confidence that we have that those 500 are going to take place exactly as they were given, that's because those first 500 happened exactly as they were given. So that's why we have the confidence. We can take a deep breath in this world and realize that God is in control. Rick, uh, if people wanted to give to our ministry or to uh, Minnow's Church in Jerusalem, how can they do that? Go to our website at donate2prophecytoday.com. Indicate in the memo that you would like this to be forwarded to Israel. We are going to be working with Christian contacts that you and I both know personally in Israel. We want to be there to support Israel, to support especially the Christian community in Israel during this time. Great job, Rick. Prophecytoday.com. Well, this week, uh, we're going to continue our study with our Legacy Series, and we will study the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. This week in our study, we'll trace the descendants of these two brothers from the time of their separation to the times of Jesus. This will be a biblical history. It will be interesting as we look at the scriptures that will lay out for us the families of these two brothers which will play a key role in the end-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy. Take your Bible and let's go to Genesis chapter 36. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. In chapters 36 and 37, we see something very interesting that will happen in the lives of these young men. The Lord is going to realize he's going to have to separate them. Chapter 37 and verse 1, notice what it says. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And so God is going to allow Jacob, as was his plan, the firstborn serving the secondborn, and the secondborn being the leader that will take the heritage of the family into the future. Chapter 36 gives us a bit of information about Esau. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. And by the way, Esau had his name also changed to Edom. Look what it says here, verse 6. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all of his beasts and all of his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into a country from the face of his brother Jacob. Now, why did these boys have to be separated? Look at verse 7. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Now notice verse 8. It is key when we get to the prophetic passages. Verse 8. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Now that is key and it prophetically we'll understand it in just a few moments. Let me tell you where Mount Seir is located. Mount Seir is the lower third of modern-day Jordan. The key city or the capital city of Mount Seir at that time and even today is a city called Petra, the impregnable city in the lower third of modern-day Jordan. There are five mountain ranges that start at Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. They come down the Rift Valley, which you know as the uh, Jordan Valley. The Rift Valley starts in Syria, goes all the way down to Kenya, Africa. Uh, but they come down the valley. You have Mount Hermon, and that's not just one mountain, it's a mountain range. And then you have the Golan Heights. Now, Golan is a biblical term used four times in the Bible. Bashan is the other 
other name for the Golden Heights, and that's part of those mountain ranges. And then from the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee south, you have the mountains of Gilead, and then you go to the mountains of Moab, and finally the mountains of Mount Seir at the time Esau moves there, but when he arrives, they change the name of that piece of geography to Edom. So you have Mount Hermon, the Golan, you have Gilead, you have Moab, you have Edom. The five mountain ranges that come down the Rift Valley or the Jordan Valley. Esau and his family goes to live in that southernmost mountain range, Mount Seir, and they are headquartered in the city of Petra, which is an unbelievable, it's one of the seven wonders of the world even today. Before we leave chapter 36, let me show you one more verse. Chapter 36 and verse 12. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. And these are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. The grandson of Esau is Amalek. Keep it in your mind. Go to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, Exodus. Exodus 12, the children of Israel are going to be led by Moses out of the 400 years of bondage in Egypt into and towards the promised land. They get across the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land. They come to a place called Rephidim. There at Rephidim, there's a battle that goes on between the Amalekites and the Israelites. You might remember this from the Sunday school classes. That's when Moses stood up on the mountaintop, had the rod of God above his head. And as long as he held the rod of God above his head, the Israelites in the valley below would defeat the Malachites. If he tired and dropped the rod below the top of his head, the Amalekites would defeat the Israelites. Aaron and her, his brother and best friend, were up there, and ultimately they held his arms up so that the rod of God would be above his head and the Israelites would win. Not all of the Amalekites were defeated, however, and they were able to escape. That's chapter 17, but before we leave chapter 17, let me show you something that the Lord told him to do. Look at verse 14, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. This is the very first time somebody was told to write down history. And it's unfolding right here in this passage of scripture. Look at verse 15, excuse me, verse 16. For he said, because of the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Notice that phrase. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel is the record of the first king of Israel. God appointed a prophet named Samuel to anoint Saul to be the king of Israel. What happened was that now God tells Samuel, I've got another message for Saul, and it relates back to that incident at Rephidim when the children of Israel are on their way towards the promised land. Look here in chapter 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. Samuel said then unto Saul, the Lord hath sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Verse 3, here's the command from God through Samuel the prophet to King Saul. Now go and smite Amalek. 
and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both the man and the woman, the infant and the suckling, the ox and the sheep, the camel and the ass. God tells Samuel, you tell Saul to kill all of the Amalekites. Kill the men, the women, the children. Kill the sucklings on their mother's breast. Kill all the animals. Kill every one of them. And Samuel said to King Saul, you understand the message? I do. Samuel leaves. A couple days later, he comes back. He walks up to King Saul. King Saul, did you follow the command of God? I have. You killed all the Amalekites, I killed them all. The men, the women, I killed the men. You killed the sucklings on the mother, I killed the sucklings. You killed the animal, I killed all the... What's that noise? I don't know. Now, King Saul, let me ask you one more time. You killed all the Amalekites, the men and the women, yes. The sucklings on the mother's breast, yes. All the animals, I killed them. Sounds like the bleeding of a sheep to me. I'm sorry. I didn't kill all the sheep. Some of them were without blemish and without spot. I thought we could use them to offer in sacrifice. Now, this will preach, guys. You know what Samuel said to King Saul? Better to be obedient than to offer sacrifice. And then Samuel said to King Saul, Did you kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites? And Saul said, No, I didn't. Why didn't you kill him? Because of his money. Because I thought we could use it for our purposes. You didn't kill him? Where is he? Get him over here to Gilgal. Gilgal's between the Jordan River and Jericho, where they encamped when they came into the promised land. And Samuel goes down and looks at Agag and says, give me that sword. He takes the sword from the king of the Amalekites, Agag. He said, this sword has made many mothers childless. Today, your mother's going to be childless. And he chopped Agag up into little pieces. You see, when God says to do something, he means to do it. You think I'm making that up? Go to verse 33. 1 Samuel 15, verse 33. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. God says to do it, you do it. Go over to the book of Esther. The book of Esther is the story, of course, of King Ahasuerus, who had a wife named Bashti. Bashti was a beautiful lady. King Ahasuerus wanted to bring all his provincial leaders in. He had 127 provinces all the way between India and Spain. He wanted to have a special session. He wanted Bashti to perform for them. When Bashti heard this, she said, no way, King Ipu, am I going to perform for all of those men. By the way, that was the beginning of women's lib. (laughs) When this happened and the queen refused to do what the king said, Haman, his number one assistant, came and said, King, you got a problem. You got a wife that won't obey you. Now, what about the rest of your subjects? If she doesn't obey you, they'll quit obeying you. And so King Ahasuerus said, what do you think we're going to do? You depose her. You put her out of her position. You get another wife that will obey you. And so King Ahasuerus followed the advice. He then had a group of candidates, beautiful women, come by. One of them stepped around the corner. Her name was Esther. And he looked up at her and he said, I want that one to be my queen. One day, he didn't know this, but his wife was a Jew. Her cousin, Mordecai, was standing or seated there at the gate to the city. 
In walks Haman, number two in the kingdom. Everybody bows to Haman, but oh, Mordecai, this ticked off Haman. He looks over and says, hey, Haman, everybody bowed to me except you. He said, yeah, you're pretty perceptive. He said, I'm not going to bow to you. I don't bow to anybody except God. Haman goes into King Ahasuerus. He said, we got another problem. There's a Jew out there that won't bow to me. And so King Ahasuerus said, what do you think we ought to do? So I think we ought to write the law of the Medes and the Persians, kill all the Jews. And so King Ahasuerus wrote the law of the Medes and the Persians. And had it not been for Esther coming into the kingdom at such a time as that, all the Jews would have been wiped out. Now, you knew the story of Esther. I just wanted to remind you. Go to chapter 3 of the book of Esther. Let me show you something. Chapter 3 of the book of Esther, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, notice, the son of Abadatha, the Agagite. Now, have you been paying attention to my history lesson? The son of Abadatha, the Agagite. That means that Haman was a descendant of Agag. Agag, the king of the Amalekites, who was fathered by Amalek, the grandson of Esau. And what did all these men want to do? Kill all of the Jews. Esau, Amalek, Agag, Haman. And Haman had a great, great, great grandson. His name, Herod the Great, an Edomite, who said, kill all those Jewish boys under two years of age. We'll get rid of the king of the Jews. That's the history. That is indeed the history of one of the brothers, the descendants of Esau. A history lesson tracing from Esau to Herod the Great at the time of Jesus. We see that Esau's descendants all wanted to eliminate the Jews from this earth. This conflict has been going on for 4,000 years and will only be resolved when Jesus Christ returns to the earth. That will be our study for next week. Please join us as we study the prophetic scenario for these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The United States and Arab neighbors intensify calls for a ceasefire as Israeli tanks approach Gaza City. Meanwhile, Hamas decries outside interference. Anti-Semitism rose globally as the Israel-Hamas war raged in October. Uncharted Ministries' Tom Doyle says Christians in the region may be at risk. He says groups that carry animosity toward Jews often hate believers, too. As you watch current events unfold, remember to pray. And the late Dave and Joy Mueller with Kenya Hope are being remembered with a celebration of life service tomorrow in Michigan after their deaths on the mission field. Their son, Ian Mueller, says his parents were passionate about caring for Kenyan widows, providing clean water, and distributing audio Bibles. Ian says anyone can serve God as his parents did. They were regular people used by an incredible God to offer help and gospel hope in Kenya and around the world. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer. 
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, Rick, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why the Bible was completed approximately 1900 years ago its accuracy and relevance for today remains unchanged the bible is a sole objective source of all the revelation god has given us about himself and his plan for humanity and every week when we take a look at current events we examine them in the light of god's prophetic word we bring only the events that are leading up to future prophetic events we do that so that the body of christ can be prepared rick for what's going to happen in the future why we need to really be studying the word but i thought about this rick what about and what have your thoughts been because you and i have spent 35 years in the middle east what about your thoughts and what you have seen over the last four or five weeks? Well, Jimmy, even though I know what the Bible says is going to take place in the future, and we've talked about that on this program every week, and we look at these nations that are coming against Israel right now, and we look at that's what happened, that's what Psalm 83 says that is going to take place, these specific nations coming against Israel, and this is part of God's plan. But Jimmy, when you look at this situation, I am sure just as you saw the same thing that I saw, you look at those kibbutzes that were down near Gaza. They look like kibbutzes that you and I have been to so many times. We have friends that lives on kibbutzes there. And it was very difficult looking at this. Now, uh, you know, difficult because we know that we have friends over there and those friends are suffering. Um, and I and obviously our heart goes out to them. And first of all, some of them are believers and frankly, some of them are not. And so we are praying for their salvation because this is a time where they are in danger there. But if you also look at the situation over there, Jimmy, we see kind of a small taste of what's going to happen in the future. And uh, I know sometimes we stand at 
Megiddo, and, and we talk about the Battle of Armageddon, and we look at it and we say, you know, if we are going to be there with Christ when he comes back to fight the Battle of Armageddon, we may say people, because it says all the nations of the world are going to gather there at the Battle of Armageddon. We may see people that we know, and we have the gift of Bible prophecy. We know what is going to happen. And I think the biggest thing for me that comes out of this situation, seeing what is taking place in Israel, especially what took place on October 7th, that fateful day, the young children. And again, I transpose the the faces of my children, but not only that, the faces of so many of our friends that live in Israel that have young children. And we know we've been to their bomb shelters. We've been to the different things. They're bomb shelters painted with cartoons on them so the kids will be excited to go in them. These are things, realities that Israel lives with. But it just kind of, uh, I think the biggest thing that it does for me is kind of bring it to the forefront that, hey, this is something that is, uh, this is something that is going to happen. It's a foreshadowing of what the Bible says is going to take place in the end times. And if that doesn't motivate you to share the gospel with these people, I don't know what will. Yes, and that that is so true. And uh, we're trying to be encouraging. And when I, I thought that was a, a a good picture, if you've been with us to Israel, if you've been to Israel, you've obviously have gone to Megiddo, Tel Megiddo. You've stood on that plateau overlooking the Jezreel Valley, um, twelve miles wide, twenty miles long. Napoleon called it the mother of all battlefields, uh, Har Megiddo, referring to Mount Megiddo, Armageddon. You, you can see the etymology of the word. Uh, and yes, all nations of the world will be gathered there. And uh, we haven't begun to understand what's going to take place. Of course, we won't be here. Uh, but I do think scriptures do talk about silence in heaven. And I think just as we all were taken back by when we woke up October 7th and saw the, uh, you know, the beginning of the carnage. But then as it's gone around on the Internet and social media, uh, if you have chosen to look at some of it, it makes you it really does make you really heartsick for the Jewish people. But in the future, it's only going to get worse. Uh, we did have a question that came in from a gentleman about Psalm 83. Uh, I do believe that these nations that are involved right now, yes, they're a part of Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. I, uh, just because Israel's having a conflict with a proxy, small little terrorist organizations that have a big impact, and Israel will respond in kind. I mean, it, you're seeing that right now. They're not weak. They were for a moment taken off guard. And I always go back to what Minnow said. Maybe, just maybe, God allowed them to be caught off guard to bring their pride level down a little bit because they were, you know, and even the Christian world has always talked about how strong the Israeli defense force is and the military. But when we saw that happen, Rick, and uh, you think about a future Holocaust and a future time when there's going to be terrible destruction. Jimmy, let me just echo what you're saying there. I had the opportunity to talk to Menno Kalish here today, and he was saying basically the same thing that you're saying, that Israel maybe was too proud. Maybe they were too uh, reliant on their tanks and on their planes and on their military strength. And 
He, he even mentioned to me, Israel is not a country that believes in God right now. I know we know it's going to take place in the tribulation, but he was saying, you know, Israel needs to humble itself. Israel is only great, and the Jewish people are only great because the covenant— the covenant promises that God gave to them, and those are going to be fulfilled by God because he has to fulfill them. And so as we look at it, we pray for Jerusalem, but we pray for the future peace of Jerusalem because that's only going to come at the end of the tribulation. Thank you, Rick, for taking the time this week and uh, to do the hard work on these interviews. And thank you so much for what you do. And we look forward to being together again next week, should the Lord tarry. And, uh, you know, he will have those news items for us. He'll bring those to us on a weekly basis so that you can be prepared as a body of Christ. Folks, with the things that we have seen today, I always say this after every program because I believe it every day. The rapture cannot be far away. So let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.